fasten your seatbelt. I'm taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. If you're going to ask me, so you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week. 30 years in the making. I could have stayed silent there for a little bit since since we're kind of talking silent movies, but I'm not sure if an, on an audio podcast that would work out too well. Yeah, so does yeah. that make us like the reverse of the silent movie? Like, Yes, we I are bet. the we are the ultra talkies. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uber talkie. The Uber talkies. That's that's our new. God, that sounds like a really tasty but spicy chip. I was just going to say the Uber talkies. Uber, Uber talkies. <laughs> I think those might exist. I don't know where they fit on the uh, what's it called the Schofield scale for for peppers. I don't know where Uber talkies fit. Scoville, on Scoville, right? A Scoville is it? Scoville, yeah. I, Schofield. I'm thinking think of so. like uh, a Schofield kid from Unforgiven last time. Right. Mm, yeah. That's a little bit different. He's a different kind of spicy. Yeah. As you can uh, hear, as you can hear, I'm your host, John Reed. Uh, I also have with me Bo Warmbold. Bo, how's it going? I'm well, John. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. You Excellent. can probably also hear Pat back there somewhere. Pat, you still there? Yeah. Hey, everybody. There's Pat. All right. So the gang is here tonight. We're ready to talk about Chaplin from 1992, yeah, the Robert Downey Jr. biopic of Charlie Chaplin. And so before we get started, real quick, we spoil freely, so this is pretty much your only warning. Granted, this is a movie about Charlie Chaplin, who lived and and did a lot of his work nearly a century ago, so if you're getting spoiled now, you, you might have been under a rock somewhere. Although, yeah. admittedly, and we will talk more about this as we get going, I already told Pat before we started recording, I'm like, I really don't think I've ever seen a Charlie Chaplin movie from beginning to end. Like I've I've seen clips, I've seen bits and pieces. Yeah. I, I don't know that I can say like I've seen Gold Rush, I've seen a little bit of Gold Rush, I've seen a little bit of the immigrant, I've seen a little bit of the Great Dictator, but I don't know that I could tell you from start to finish I've actually watched a full Charlie Chaplin film. So Yeah, it's interesting. I'm trying to think if I have. So before I before I criticize anybody for not having seen a Charlie Chaplin movie, I I need to re examine my own life choices. So, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. If you have not already, visit our website, 30podcast.com. You can leave a rating, leave a voicemail, become a co-executive producer via Patreon where you get access to all kinds of bonus episodes. The one that we're doing for this month is, is really fun. We've got King of Comedy, which I had not seen before watching it for the podcast and really enjoyed it. So uh, that's going to be our main episode for this month. Otherwise, the other ones that we got for this month are going to be Black Adam, which I saw, and I, I think that Patreon short came out several days ago. I finally got a chance to see that one in the theater, so did my little review for that. And then we're going to have Rocky Three, 
is our other one for this month. So uh, King of Comedy is going to be a fun one to talk about, though. But I'm also looking forward to a, a quick little uh, Rocky Three there in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. Love me some Clubber Lang. Oh, yeah. So. Is that the one where he – never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Bo, Bo, I'm trying to – I'm in your corner, man. Just, just head down and keep moving ahead. Don't say anything. <laughs> This group is merciless. Yeah, it's it's the one where he loved it when a plan oh, came no. together. Oh, yes. No. Yeah. Yes. Oh, no. Yeah. Isn't it, I think that's Clubber Lang's catchphrase. I love it when a right hook yes. comes together. Hey, I, I don't do no right hooks. I'm a southpaw. All right. I think that's it in terms of our opening spiel and whatnot. But yeah, let's just let's jump on into it. So this one is Chaplin. Came out on Christmas Day, 1992, rated PG-13. I wanted to go back a few times and double check that though, because everything I saw was telling me PG-13. But the but the ladies in this movie, the ladies, and and what was visibly visible displayed displayed in this movie made me question if it was actually PG-13. Supposedly, it, it was is. tasteful. It, yes, I'm just. I'm just saying, like, people got so bent out of shape about Titanic. People got so bent out of shape with the halftime show of whatever the heck Super Bowl that was. How did this squeak by with a PG-13 rating? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm just trying to figure That's out all a way. I'm, saying. I'm just trying to figure out a way to work in the line, draw me like one of your French boys. I mean, to, that is most days when I'm trying to find a way to use that sentence, but... <sighs> Work meetings, I for some reason it's it's not appropriate. I don't know why. I've been told that before. <laughs> I, I, I don't know where I could go with that. I, how, I don't how are we planning? It's to just not to. I think. How are we planning to implement this new technology tool in the school? Why don't you connect me like one of your French girls? I don't know. <laughs> do, do you do you like what you USBC? Yes. I just as, I he, like as he hikes up his pant leg. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. This is what we have to do to survive, gentlemen. Or maybe we don't have to, but we sometimes prefer to. I don't know. Anyway, oddly enough, my point is this movie is rated PG thirteen. Was a little surprised, but that's fine. Runtime was two hours. Two. Yeah. Let's try that again because numbers are difficult. Two hours and twenty three minutes is the runtime. Directed by Richard Attenborough, who died in 2014. He also directed Gandhi and In Love and War. Writers were Diana Hawkins, who did the story. William Boyd, who did the screenplay. Brian Forbes, who did screenplay, died in 2013. William Goldman, who did the screenplay and died in 2018. Hawkins was the director of publicity for Gandhi. Boyd did a TV series called The Trench. Forbes did International Velvet, and Goldman did The Princess Bride. Producers on this one were Richard Attenborough and Mario Kassar. Attenborough did Gandhi. Kassar did Total Recall. Music was done by John Barry, who died in 2011. He did Goldfinger. Actually, he did, I think he did a few of the Bond movies. He also did Dances with Wolves. And it's a shame Dennis isn't here, because I was also going to mention he did the soundtrack for Dennis's personal favorite, Howard the Duck. <laughs> I, I found it interesting. Mario Kassar, is that how you say his name? I think so, yeah. And he seems to have done a lot of action movies and the ones that you mentioned. And this 
I, maybe I'm wrong, but this seemed to be like a departure for mm-hmm. for him. Yeah. I might be way off in that. Well, he's he was a producer for a lot of Schwarzenegger's movies, so I feel like he was like a yeah. total recall, and I'm going to start blanking out, but I, I want to say he was involved maybe in the Terminator movies. Yeah, but, but I feel like there was a stretch of time where it was like if if Schwarzenegger was attached, then it probably Mario Casar was a producer. Yeah. So hey, not my place to say one way or the other, but yeah. I just I found that interesting. I thought that was cool. Yeah. One thing I did want to point out real quickly is there is a link between this movie and Dennis's personal favorite movie. This one rated PG thirteen, and there was some frontal partial frontal female nudity, and Howard the Duck was rated PG, and there was also some frontal nudity in that one as well. Yeah. So see, we see, we see the crossovers. So there are, it's, we, I feel like we're all being incepted right now. It's all connected. Yes. Yeah. All right. So let's see. John Barry did the music. Cinematography was done by Sven Nyquist, who died in 2006. He did the unbearable lightness of being and Fanny Alexander. Editor was Anne V. Coates, who died in 2018. She did Lawrence of Arabia and In the Line of Fire. Budget for this one was $31 million. Box office was $12 million. It did not bake back his money. It was a, a box office flop. And then Flick's me- Flick Metrics gives it a 62%. Cinema score gives it an A-. Robert Downey Jr. played Charles Chaplin. He was in Iron Man and Sherlock Holmes. Geraldine Chaplin played Hannah Chaplin. I think she played her own, was it her own grandmother. I think it was. Yeah, yeah she was in yeah. Dr. Zhivago and Nashville. Paul Reese played Sidney Chaplin. He was in Da Vinci's Demons and Vincent and Theo. John Thaw, who died in 2002, was Fred Carno. He was in Inspector Morse and Sweeney. Moira Kelly played Hetty Kelly and Una O'Neill Chaplin. She was in The Lion King and The Cutting Edge. Anthony Hopkins played George Hayden. He was in Science of the Lambs and Thor. Dan Aykroyd played Max Sennett. He was in Ghostbusters and The Great Outdoors. Marissa Tomei played Mabel Normand. She was in My Cousin Vinny and the Spider-Man movies. Penelope Ann Miller was Edna Perviance. She was in Kindergarten Cop and Carlito's Way. Kevin Klein was Douglas Fairbanks. He was in Dave and a Fish Called Wanda. Mila Jovovich played Mildred Harris. She was in The Fifth Element and Resident Evil. And Diane Lane Paul, played Paulette Goddard. She was in The Outsiders and Man of Steel. So a couple of, of really quick things here. Yes, Geraldine, I had a little note here in the trivia. Geraldine Chaplin played her real-life grandmother, Hannah Chaplin. To prepare for his role, Robert Downey Jr. learned how to play the violin and tennis left-handed. He also hired a coach to help him get Charlie Chaplin's posture and mannerisms down. And that was one of the things that, even though admittedly I have not seen, like I said, I've not seen a ton of Charlie Chaplin, what I have seen of the bits and pieces of the three-ish movies that I've seen of his and, and various video clips over the year years, I mean, it seemed to me like Robert Downey Jr. basically channeled, channeled the spirit of or, or somehow managed to inhabit Charlie Chaplin with just the way he, he looked exactly like him. He disappeared into the role. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of those movies where you completely forgot that this was the actor that is playing the person and, and fully bought into the belief that he was Charlie Chaplin. Yes. Let's see. There were a couple things about how much money Charlie Chaplin was making at the kind of the height of his popularity. He, I want to say he kind of, after he came to the States, and he started working for a little bit. Of course, he was getting 150 a week when he first got hired in California. And then when he moved to one of the other studios, he originally was getting, let's see, it was about a $1,250 a week plus a $10,000 bonus. And that was in 14. 
He then signed with the Mutual Film Corporation for $670,000 a year. That's insane. Yeah, Six that's head, nuts. $670,000 a year in, let's say, 1914? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm Googling that for us right now. Yeah, I... <laughs> I'm just trying to process that. It is. It is the. Yeah, I mean, equivalent. I'm trying to process that today. It know? is the equivalent. So, six hundred and seventy thousand dollars in 1914 is equivalent to about. Let's round it up just a little bit to about twenty million dollars today. So he was getting paid twenty That's million. That's some serious cash. Yeah. So here's how my brain works. I'm like, okay, so on without counting inflation, he could buy a Lamborghini every year. Yes. That just made it real for Pat. I'm just saying. <laughs> Pat just needed the auto. All about context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, well, I don't want to get too far ahead of it, but I really always, it's always interesting to see the angle where something that we all consume and see as art when there's like a business angle mm-hmm. attached to it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And which is, which is funny. You mentioned that because he, this little trivia tidbit goes on to say that next he then also made a deal with first national studio to make eight comedies for about a million dollars. And that may be in addition to some of his other, stuff that he was already making. So ridiculous amounts of money. Yeah. But to your point, Pat, in 1919, he founded his own studio and kind of co-founded that with Douglas Fairbanks and a couple of other people. Mm-hmm. And the quote that it has here from actual Charlie Chaplin was, I went into the business for money and the art grew out of it. If people are disillusioned by that remark, I can't help it. It's the truth. So he went into it to make money. And from there, the art kind of sprang forth. And everybody thought he was a communist. <laughs> right. 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 I mean, I, I know I'm overly simplifying, but yeah, yeah I, I just, I just, I find that aspect always, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to sound judgy and, but I mean, I, I apply that to my own thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like the Joker said in the dark night, if you're good at something, never do it for free, it for free. you know? And it's sort of like, okay, like, I love, I love my job. I love what I do. I love, but if they turned around and said, Hey, we need you to do the extracurricular jazz band for nothing. I'm going to say, well, mm, no, because do you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's so, yeah, I just, I, I, I'm fascinated by those stories where the, where, where money and making money for doing something intersects with art. You know, and uh, that that they are great artists and they're inspirational and all that. And I guess I guess sports would be the biggest reference for that too, is because sometimes you naively think, oh well, of course these guys are going to stay on whatever team because they're building the team camaraderie and they want to be part of that team's heritage and so on and so forth. You know, and then all of a sudden you find out, okay, well the rival team picked him up and or. brought this person over. Why? Well, they're paying them more money and okay, well, this is what I think my skills are worth. And I, so anyways, I'm talking myself in circles, but boy, that is just, 
I found that an interesting part of this movie, and it is fascinating just how on it he was with knowing his worth and and earning that money. Yeah. Cool. A couple other quick, interesting trivia tidbits here. He really loved music from a young age, and he learned to play the piano, the violin, the cello. He had no formal training, but he did actually, and you see this a couple times in the movie, he does, he does actually go on to score some of his films with the help of some trained musicians. And it says here that one of his films, Limelight, would even earn him his only competitive Oscar. <laughs> so... That's kind of cool. It's last really cool. last one is kind of a kind of an awkward but funny little trivia tidbit here. Just a few months after his death, two robbers stole his coffin from the Swiss cemetery and sent his wife a six hundred thousand dollar ransom demand. When she refused to pay, they allegedly threatened her kids. But then the bungling robbers were soon caught and the coffin was recovered. It was then reburied in a theft-proof concrete vault. Hmm. So, the more interesting. You, the more you know. Huh. No. All right. Before we get into our major moments, the synopsis for this one, because of the nature of the Charlie Chaplin movies and everything else, I'm going to share the synopsis in this way. In a world. with nothing but a dream. You can't be chaplain. <laughs> you might be chaplain after all. Chaplain! He told him to get changed, remember? What's he putting on, a suit of armor? Onto the stage right now! Chaplain! What do I do? Cut it. No, wait, wait, hold it. Now keep it going. Big reaction, who is that? Overnight, he had Hollywood in his hands. Damn you, Chaplin, what are you trying to do to me? <laughs> and the world at his feet. The whole world knows about you, Charlie. Let me direct the next one. But behind the screen... Charlie! ...were the women who wanted him. Is this what you want? Did you lose your other wives this way? The scandal that surrounded him. Don't believe everything you read in the papers. Why not? Still waiting for that other shot, Sid. That inspired him. Your message reaches everyone, everywhere. And there's no control over them. Be careful. Camera! From Academy Award-winning director Richard Attenborough, Robert Downey Jr. He is talking about America! You are a truly strange fellow, Charles. <laughs> everyone has a wild side. Even a legend. What do we do, Charlie? Smile. All right, so this movie is, I've got eight major moments for this one. And we, I, oddly enough, I, I decided as I was making up the major moments here, I was like making my little, little list here. For some reason, and this has nothing to do with Charlie Chaplin at all, I started listing the major moments and they were all song titles. And at first, oh. it, at first I wasn't doing that on purpose. And then I was like, oh, 
All right, we're just going to do that this time. So so my, my eight major moments for this one are all named after song titles. I'm starting with major moment number one, which I'm calling The Show Must Go On. And that is at the beginning of the movie where he is a young kid. His mom is on stage, and she starts to kind of like lose her voice and, and lose some of the words. And, and the crowd is about to revolt a little bit until he jumps on stage and is like, hey, I, I can sing the song. Let me on there. And so, uh, obviously, the, the show does go on, and that is kind of the first moment of little Charlie getting a taste of taste of the limelight. And uh, from there, obviously, the, the movie continues on, and we see that he was kind of he was kind of made for this. It is one of those early days in England. It is kind of it's sad to see the scenes of the mom, and you kind of see what she's dealing with, and and uh, you know, in in whatever ways, mentally she was struggling as well. And then ultimately, as they as they get a little bit older, they have to put her in the asylum and and just kind of the the difficulty of some of those scenes and mm-hmm. you know just to kind of see how that how those those early years shaped him later on in life and kind of the things that would would be important to him and you know just the, re- the reflection of the struggles that he went through as a young kid where they basically had nothing mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. major moment number two i'm calling living in america you should talk about the rocky movies that's a that's a good song with james brown yeah, that, that is when he immigrates to America and starts off in, I think it was Montana, he starts off in, but then moves to California and where he starts by getting paid 150 a week. And that's when he walks onto the movie set for the first time and walks right into the camera and gets in their shot and has to be edited out. And it's fun to see those scenes of somebody who was a vaudeville actor who is seeing the motion picture for the first time. And, you know, he later on in the movie he struggles with the transition from the silent films to the talkies, but it's interesting that knowing that the way things were changing so much was that if you were alive during that time, you could have gone from being a vaudevillian actor to a film actor to a talkies actor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And boy, that whole thing was, was cool. Just seeing the editing piece. Do you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to, but it's kind of like, I feel like I was, I'm the, the person that's in the 100 level class and suddenly becomes the expert kind of thing when I say this, but I, just. Well, you're not, but you did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. I, yeah, that's right. I, that's exactly it. But it was, no, it was just so exciting seeing how they were editing him out. Just seeing the editing process yeah. and actually cutting film. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And I just, that was so I cool. Just, and I just took your recommendation and, and watched The Offer. Oh, and I yeah. thought that was on whatever that channel is that has The Offer. Yeah. But uh, I thought that was such a cool part of that is when it showed the editing and how they edit those things together. I, I never got a chance to be an actual film editor. Like I, right. I've never worked in actual movies. But having been a movie theater projectionist, that was, mm-hmm. to, to me, like that was one of the fun parts was when we would get the movie reels because we were still, when I was working in the movie theater, we were still working with film. Mm-hmm. And we'd get the reels in these big canisters that I was like, I want to say Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, maybe had 12 reels in these mm-hmm. big canisters. And what would happen is on a Thursday afternoon, once we were done with all the late shows on a Thursday afternoon, we actually had to, because we'd put the, the reels at the theater I was at. I don't know if every theater did it this way. You would actually have to splice the reels together and they would go on these massive platters. 
And so you'd have this mm-hmm. huge platter that that's where then the film would feed into the projector and then it would feed back out onto one of the other platters because you'd have like a three-level platter deal. <laughs> and so we'd have to splice these 12 reels onto one massive reel that would rest on this platter. And to me, like that was some of the most fun was like running through, getting these reels put up and running them through and cutting the film here and splicing it together here and taping it back and, and just kind of going through that whole process. And I remember a few times doing that. I was like, you know what? I could see this being a fun job. Mm-hmm. Like to do, to do the editing of an actual movie. I could see that being kind of fun. Yeah. I got to watch somebody do a transfer reload of an IMAX projector. Oh, nice. Big 70 millimeter platters. Yeah. That was cool. Wow. Yeah. Well, it, it, just fascinating. Like I said, just fascinating. And I guess it's not surprising. We're all movie fans and everything. But I, you know, notably not knowing much about camera angles or all that other technical stuff that you <laughs> that you guys are all the experts in. No, but seriously, that's just that was that was a fun aspect of this movie. So I guess piggybacking off my comments of interesting seeing all the business side of it. Yeah. And well, this is what I'm worth. It's just, it's cool seeing that technical side of it. And even, even from a historical perspective, because I think the Dan Aykroyd character drops the comment, like, look, I crank out three of these a week or two movies a week. And, but it was something like, I can't do any more. It's Mm -hmm. something like I'm maxed out doing two of these a week. And it's, (laughs) and then silent film, Sam Jackson walks over and is like, hold my beer. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I can make three movies a week in the 90s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's It was cool. Like I said, this movie really had some neat features, but I, I like that how they were. It's like, you got in the shot. Okay, here's what we'll do, yeah. you know. Well, and just that it, it boggles his mind. He's like, wait a minute, you can just you can just cut me out of the shot? And then, but but the other kind of funny piece of that, and that was the piece that I keyed in on with that scene was I was like, and I almost wanted him to turn back and like pick it up off the cutting room floor was he walked into the shot. They cut it out and left it on the cutting room floor to which it probably got swept up and thrown in the trash. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, it's like, that's the first moment that Charlie Chaplin was on film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the first moment that he's on film is lost forever because they wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have known at the time, a medium where you're capturing something that then should be semi-permanent Right, you know, it, it gets left on the cutting room floor. So the irony of that moment was that someone who becomes as famous, as world famous as he became, his first moment on film ends up getting cut and thrown away. I know. And and now, 100 years later, we're able to see director's cuts and unlimited cuts. Well, you could do that, not just now, but now yeah. we ha- it's come to the point where, like with the that DC movie, you could turn around and re-edit the film together without doing any filming and have almost a completely different movie. Mm-hmm. Um, not in terms of story and plot, but in terms of how it comes across on, because with the, it's like taking pictures, right? It used to be you had to buy film and you take so many pictures and then you're out. Now you can take six gajillion pictures and everything is for all time. It's recorded, right? I, you hear, know? They're, so, I hear they're doing that. They're doing Zack Snyder's, cut of charlie chaplin's gold rush yeah it's still going to be in black and white too there it is well it's it's uh, there was another film that they were talking about that i heard that there was another like fan petition to make the whatever cut and the studio i can't remember what movie it was but the studio came i said no 
no, we're not going to do that. Like that was a one-off thing. We're not going to redo all these other. But just yeah. to your point, how the technology advances, it's, and like you said, that one moment, oh, how cool would that be? But it's, you know, it's not, it's, it's gone. It's, it's in the trash bin of history. Yeah. Yeah. Major moment number three, I'm calling Here I Go Again on My Own when he decides that he is worth plenty and he can start his own studio. And he basically, at first, he's told, yeah, whatever, good luck, kid. And then he does, and he does just fine. Thank you very much. And starts to starts to make some of his own movies. This is also around the time where we start to get introduced to the idea that Charlie enjoys the ladies and he likes them young because, as we learn, he's pretty much continues to marry teenagers throughout the rest of his life. Oh, yeah. So a, a young Mila Jovovich is in this scene. I think it was Mildred Harris. I think it was her character's name. She's one of the first ones that he ends up getting married. And that's what I'm calling major moment number four. I'm pulling lyrics for this one. The kid is not my son. And mm-hmm. uh, that is a scene where he is getting conned by Mildred Harris. He finds out later it's a con that she was not actually pregnant and that he uh, he was kind of tricked into marrying her. It was a shotgun wedding, but it was more of like an airsoft shotgun wedding, I guess is what we're saying. Mm-hmm. So so we have that scene. We see that he's kind of, there's there's a little bit of trouble here and there. We start to get some scenes with the the FBI wanting to investigate him, that maybe they don't particularly care for some of the things he's saying or the way he's saying them, that he might be a dirty, dirty communist. Mm-hmm or at the very least a communist sympathizer. And so they are they're watching him very very closely, always watching Mr. Wazowski. And then we get uh, I'm going to jump then to major moment number 5, which I'm calling Fortunate Son, where he takes a little trip over to England and has a little bit of a run-in with some folks at a where for the most part everybody's happy to see him and they're congratulating him and all that. He's just trying to have a quiet drink in the pub. And he gets that one drunk guy that tries to throw his drink on him and criticize him for not fighting in the war, to kind of taking the easy way out. And that's at one of the points, too, where we start to get the what's driving him. And it is he really wants he, he wants to make people smile. He wants to make people laugh. But at the same time, he also wants to say something with his movies. And I think at this up to this point... I think he's been feeling like even though he runs his own studio, he does his own stuff, that he maybe is not using his fame and fortune in a way that helps others as much as he would like. So he feels maybe a little guilty that when he's being criticized that he didn't fight in the war, you know, or that maybe he's not doing enough with what he's been given. Mm hmm. And then that kind of seems to be a thread that obviously continues on for the rest of the movie is that's something that, that kind of drives him, that he he really, he wants to, he wants to say something. He knows he's got to be a little careful with how he says it because of the the political climate at the time in the States and everything else. But, you know, he, he definitely has something he wants to say with these movies. Yeah. Ironically, then, major moment number six, I'm calling Don't Speak. That's the rise of the talkies. And uh, are we enjoying the song title so far? Loving so far, so good. Okay. Every one, the song plays in my head. There so you go. that that was the that was kind of the point. That one is the rise of the talkies, where he's they're trying to convince him that the tramp needs to say something, and he he's kind of like, look, I if the tramp talks, then that kind of loses the magic. So I don't want to do this. Um, he goes so far as to say the tramp is dead yeah. if he speaks. Right. Right. So you see kind of that difficulty of, you know, 
he was excited by the idea of moving from stage actor to getting into movies, but now the idea, it, which is so funny to us now, the idea of moving from silent film to uh, the talkies is just, well, no, we can't do that. Like, that's... You, you lose the, I, and I love his, his illustration. You know, he's like, what's, what's the most famous ballet dancer in the world right now? And he goes through that whole thing. And he's like, well, imagine if he finished dancing and then he started talking. And, you know, and he starts trying to go through and do the, the Russian accent and everything. And, and he's like, the, the magic is totally lost at that point. Which, again, I, and I mean, it's, it's the risk of falling into the, into thinking the biopic is is 100% exactly accurate and all that. But if what they're presenting is how it was, he was incredibly self-aware. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Because like he, he knew he, man, he just, he, he seemed to just be aware or inherently have this sixth sense that his skill set combined with the technology of the time combined with the new, well, that's kind of the technology, this, this idea of the silent films boy he was just able to he just knew he had lightning in a bottle kind of thing yeah and knew that it wouldn't work if to change that format yeah and to fight for his character too that he had created mm-hmm. that character and he he knew it so well and he knew what was going to work and what wasn't going to work and right right and i mean i know this is this is bordering on the deep thoughts thing but like you said, I don't know that I've ever seen a Charlie Chaplin movie all the way through. And I'm, but we all know Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Even I remember when this movie came, everybody know. And how cool is that, that you are even on like a basic level, you're, it's, you're a household name that everybody knows. And it's 50, 60, 70, 80, now almost a hundred years after you started making films. Yeah. I mean, dude, that's an impact. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Then we jump into major moment number seven, which is when we start to start to see some of his legal troubles. I'm calling this one, I fought the law and the law won. And this is where he ends up in the courtroom, though he gets the blood test done that proves he is not the father of one of these children that, you know, the, one, of the, one of the ladies is, is pregnant and is claiming that he is the father. The blood test is done, but they basically throw out those results. They, they don't allow them to be admitted in the court. And even though it is basically proven that he is not the father he ends up losing the court battle and must then support the child until the child is 21 and at that point we also kind of it it then blends into the idea that the fbi is always still looking for a way to get at him and ultimately when he does take a trip over to london for a vacation they find that as as kind of a good time to because of some of his comments that could be construed as communist and a couple of other things they are then pushing to have him basically exiled from the United States. And so while they are, once they've left the United States, he finds out he has been exiled and will not be able to return to the U S. So ultimately he and his family end up living in, they end up living in Switzerland. And that's where we kind of jump forward a little bit to the final major moment, which I'm calling We Are the Champions, because he has finally won. It's it's fast-forwarding to the Academy Awards, I believe it was 1972, and the montage of his work when he received the special award during that year. And it's showing, and I believe, I think we were talking about this before we started recording, I believe that's all actual Charlie Chaplin footage. I don't think that's Robert Downey Jr. 
versions of the footage. I, I think it's it looked like, at least to me, it looked like it was straight from the actual films themselves. So I thought that was kind of a nice way. It reminded me a little bit of the ending of Malcolm X, where you had kind of like the, the yeah. collection of different speeches and, and people talking about him. But this one was examples of his movies. Mm-hmm. So... All right. Are there any other major moments that you felt like, before we get into our, our deep thoughts here, are there other major moments that you feel like we might have missed? No, oh, I think we hit the, the major moment soundtrack pretty good. All right. We covered them. We'll, we'll put that playlist on Spotify somewhere. All right. Here are your deep thoughts. And now, deep thoughts. All right. Deep thoughts. Let's start off with the obvious one. Did you like this movie? Yes. It was fun. It was good. A good way to present, you know, the biography of this, of this filmmaker. It showed his, it showed his progression in, in his career from, I want to make money to, I want to say something. And it showed the warts in his character. I mean, even they refer to one of, he refers to one of his wives as an imperfect human or something of that nature. And Anthony Hopkins says, well, um, hold on, son. <laughs> You're an imperfect person as well. So, yeah, I think it, it, it covers all the bases like a good, biopic should you don't want the 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 cleaned up version you know you want you want all of it yeah yeah i also enjoyed this movie as i said before this is this is one where i I really didn't know that much about the historical figure of charlie chaplin so it was kind of nice to learn albeit through a fairly fictional version of it although from what I understand, at least a couple of things that I've read is is that it it seems to be fairly accurate, at least based on the autobiography. So you're taking it from what Charlie Chaplin himself had written. So depending on how accurate that is, because we know that sometimes we ourselves can be our least reliable narrator. But yeah, it was, it was nice to learn about his history. Fun to see some of the different parts of the, the business side of what he did, the personal things that he went through things like that so yeah I, I enjoyed this movie I felt as as Pat had said earlier I felt Robert Downey Jr. disappeared into this role except a couple of times when his English accent maybe failed just a little bit but other than that now I, I completely forgot that this was RDJ for a bit and totally thought I was watching a movie starring Charlie Chaplin yeah I agree with everything that has been said here I I <sighs> It's, I was very taken with this movie. I have been finding myself, I mean, when obviously I, I'm doing the Marvel thing and, and all that, I'm a pretty big fan of Robert Downey Jr., but through this podcast, going back and rewatching his, his, his work, all the way back to, um, well, I would say all the way back, that was probably, what, four or five years ago when he was kind of getting started and everything. I, boy, I am just blown away with what that guy does, and he brought Charlie Chaplin to life and it's wow. Yeah. I, I was very taken with this movie. I really enjoyed it. Do you have a favorite scene from this? I, I guess another question is, is this the first time each of us has seen this? It was the first time watching it for me. I didn't see it before. I think I saw it when it came out ish. Okay. Yeah. First time for me. Okay. All right. What about this movie did you enjoy? 
You know, was there anything in particular? Was there a particular scene? Was there a particular thread of his life that kind of, that you enjoyed most out of it? I, anytime they used the silent movie filming technique Mm -hmm. in the actual movie, was fun. Like when they were hiding the film because the lawyers were coming after it as a marital asset, that whole shtick at the front of the hotel was, was pretty good. When he gets out of the wheelchair and picks up his own wheelchair and then sits back down in it, that's funny. And that's, that's classic silent movie, Charlie Chaplin stuff. So yeah, I, I liked that. I liked when they did that, they brought the, the way he made movies into the movie about him. Yeah. favorite scene or favorite part. I, I think I would need to watch it more to find a a favorite bow. The thing that you referenced is, is great. I mean, I really loved, like I, I, I kept interrupting all the major moments. I really liked the technical aspects. I really liked seeing that. Yeah. To pick an absolute favorite would be, would be difficult, but Charlie Chaplin being played by Robert Downey Jr. was top of the list. Seeing the the early film cutting, that was top of the list. And what Bo mentioned was was great. So, yeah, yeah, I I enjoyed getting to see his reenactment of these different scenes. I I shared. I'll probably tweet it out on our Twitter account, but I shared in the chat. Um, there's a link to a YouTube video where they do a side by side comparison of scenes from the 92 Chapman Chaplin movie with the actual scenes from the movies from the 1917, 1919, whatever. They do side-by-side comparisons. So the one where he's, where they're trying to take the wedding photo and there's the staircase and, you know, he pretends to be the lamp for a minute and, you know, he's running around all over the place. Like they show side-by-side the actual movie with the Robert Downey Jr. movie version and sometimes it is it is just it's spot on almost exactly like you you lose track of which one is which. Mm-hmm. So I love getting I to bet. see those kind of reenactments and especially having the opportunity then to see afterwards the kind of the side by side. Yeah. Is there anything in this movie that did not work Excuse for me. you? Like the only thing, the only thing I can think of that didn't work for me was, like I said, a couple times his British accent falters a little bit. But the other thing that I was a little surprised didn't work for me because I, I kind of felt like I was watching something that I had seen executed much better in a movie that I also love was the kind of the framing device of having this be having the narrator kind of be his biographer talking to him when he's much older and we have these scenes that cut back from time to time. And he's like, well, tell us, why didn't you write more about this? Why didn't you do that? That I kind of, I think I could have done without, which would be a shame because then you're cutting Anthony Hopkins character completely. But I think I could have done without that because every time it got to one of those scenes and especially as he was getting older in those scenes, it just made me think of the scenes from Amadeus where you have the priest talking Mm. to Salieri and Salieri is, is going through and talking about his life and, and providing context to some of the things we've been seeing with Mozart. And it just is so well done in that movie that in this movie, it almost felt like it was a little tacked on and unnecessary. So I, I, don't, I don't know that it necessarily, I don't know that the movie is hurt by it, 
but I'm looking at it and I'm going, ah, you know what? Those are kind of the only scenes that take me out of the rest of the story is when we, mm-hmm. we stop for a moment or two to have old Charlie Chaplin talking to his biographer. I, I almost don't feel like, except for a couple times here or there, I don't know that I feel like we're getting any new information. It feels like it's just rehashing stuff we just saw in the last 10 minutes. I'm not learning anything new from these scenes, so I don't know that they're necessary. Mm-hmm. They're not bad, but I just I felt like they maybe weren't necessary. Got it. So I that's my only that's probably my only criticism of the movie. Mm. Anything else you guys found? Was there anything else you felt like, yeah, I could have done without that or or I wish or I wish I hit- there'd been more of this or I I I I wasn't. I, I, like I said, I, I was really kind of enamored with the thing. I hear what you're saying, though. You know, I hear, I definitely hear what you're saying. But uh, yeah, for, for me, I, I, I was kind of, I, I was taken, I was taken under the movie's spell. Mm-hmm. I, it, the only thing I think I would have liked a little more on, but it would have made the movie longer and not to the movie's. Uh, not to, ha- and it wouldn't help the movie so much as more satisfy a curiosity. I felt like the J. Edgar Hoover stuff was sort of mm-hmm. quick and rushed. And I, I, I want to believe that there was more to it. Like I, I, I was very intrigued by the way they portrayed J. Edgar Hoover as the, when he was watching the movie, when he was watching the great dictator, he's saying he's not talking about, you know, he's not talking about Germany. He's talking about the United States. I I would have liked to delve a little more into that because that whole part of it is just me. I'm very intrigued by the whole red scare and all of that stuff. It's very interesting. Yeah. So I would have liked maybe a little more on that. And they, it, it was weird. Like after that first meeting with J. Edgar Hoover, like all of a sudden they're calling him a communist. I feel like there could have been some more explanation there. Yeah. 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 I agree with that one too. Yeah. A couple of the other things that I, I, really enjoyed about this movie is I just enjoyed getting to see I always enjoy getting to see a little bit of background on some other uh, other actors and how they get portrayed like the Douglas Fairbanks character Kevin Klein just did an awesome job with that part and and it was just it was fun to see other actors these older actors from the 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 teens and 20s and 30s get name dropped here and there and and just kind of fun to see some of the connections albeit in a in a fictional biography kind of way. Yeah, it's 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 a time of Hollywood that is kind of like I don't know if it's the gold it would be considered the golden age, but it's the early years and we don't get to see that portrayed very much. Right. And so you're right. It was and you know, it's fun to see these characters being portrayed. You see how they appear on screen, but it's fun to see them portrayed as as real people as well. And I think some of that is just because now we live in a time where we so much want to see our, our actor, what are they like as real people? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. you know, when we kind of grew up in the time, I think when that was transitioning, like in the eighties and, and nineties, like that was where, you know, things weren't swept under the rug. If someone had a complete, 
meltdown or drug binge or something, you know, something salacious, it gets spread all over the place. And now with social media, it's, it's, it's just there. So you kind of tend, I think, I tend to, you, you look back on these times before there was all that. And it's like, yeah, the, they were real people too. They had their problems. They, they had their situation, life, the, the whole nine yards. It's just, it was never splayed out like that, like it is now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it's, it's exactly like you said, you go back and you see these characters that, okay, well now, even though it's, they're being portrayed in a fictional movie, well, maybe it's not a fictional movie, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. They're being portrayed in a movie, but you still like that because it's something that you don't get to see as much. Whereas now, you know, everything that every actor and celebrity and sports figure and everything is doing every second of the day. Yeah. Well, before we get to our three questions, a couple of questions we ask sometimes here, does this movie hold up 30 years later? So if this movie was being released in theaters today, what would be the reason you would go see it? You're walking past the movie theater. You, you walk past, they've got the poster up there for Chaplin. You can see the names of some of the actors that are on this. If you were to go see this movie, what would be your reason for seeing it? For me, it'd be Robert Downey Jr. and and Charlie Chaplin, right? He's a household name. I know him, but I don't know much about him. Yeah, I'm going to go check out this movie. And Robert Downey Jr., like I said, is an amazing actor. And I'm like, yeah, I want to see him in more stuff. Yeah, I think it's the same for me. I, I would, for the historical aspect of it, the I don't know. I know Charlie Chaplin. I know the household name. I don't know that much about his life. Am I going to necessarily of the of the back catalog of books that I have to read? Am I necessarily going to go grab a book and read more about Charlie Chaplin? Probably not. But do I have time to watch a two hour movie and get a fairly decent sense of maybe what his life was like? Sure. So I think that's what would draw me in. Yeah, I mean, I not much more you can add to that. It's two household names and. Not even just the two household names; the rest of the cast could draw you in too. There's yeah. oh, there's tons. There's a lot going on there. Tons of great people in this cast. David Duchovny shows up. We didn't even mention him when we were listing off the. Yeah, he's the editor. Yeah. All right. In that case, it's time for three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions impossible to answer impossible because you don't know the answer nobody could answer that question i want to ask you a bunch of questions i want to have them answered immediately what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things i have ever heard at no point in your rambling incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right. Question number one. What is your favorite silent film? I know the one that I would like to see that I have not seen other than a few couple little clips here and there. I would like to see more of the Charlie Chaplin films. The one I would really like to see is The Man Who Laughs. 
the one that was kind of like the, the the makeup for the guy and everything was like the inspiration for the Joker. I'd like to go see that one. My favorite silent film of the, I, I don't have a, a wide catalog of silent films that I've watched over the years, but my favorite one will probably always be Nosferatu. I love a good scary vampire silent film. That, that movie, as much as it's a black and white silent film, that movie still creeps me out. What's the, I'm trying to look it up. I meant to look it up earlier and I didn't. Earth to the Moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the one. La, Le Voyage dans la Lune, we, 1902. A Trip to the Moon? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then it's not, it, it's only technically a silent mov- movie because there's no dialogue. There is a song and the song has words in it, but it was animated movie based on a book called the snowman. And I loved that book. And they made a, like a 20 minute pencil sketch animation of it. And there's no dialogue. There is, there is some words in the music at, at a couple of points, but that's maybe my modern silent movie choice. If they had made it back when they first announced it in the nineties, if they had made it the way I had it pictured in my little 12-year-old, 13-year-old head, the one of my favorite silent films would have been Alien vs. Predator. There you go. But unfortunately, That's they decided the to include humans. And uh, Yeah, well, darn humans, they screw up everything. I think I had, like yeah. a little, I had like a little screenplay version written of it and everything. I was like, well, if you do it this way, it's going to be a great movie. Did they ask me? No. They didn't listen. Was it a great movie? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> They didn't listen. They no. just don't listen. They don't. Pat, do you have one? Do you have a favorite silent film? I, I, you know what? I wish I did. I, 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 I got nothing. And you know, I, I said before, as a fan of Mel Brooks, Pat I just rejected seen... your question. <laughs> Pat, Pat sees the question as an opportunity for growth. Okay. I, um, what a teacher you are. <laughs> There it is. There it is. Don't don't let the secret out. I'm, I'm glad you I, have. Um, a, I'm glad you have a growth mindset, Pat. Yeah, I've got a growth. I've got a growth. I have no, a growth but, mindset. Uh, I just need to go get that checked out. Yeah, that's yes. I I want to embrace this area. Like I want to watch Charlie Chaplin films. I want to go like, Bo, what you were talking about I, the, the that one. I've heard of it, you know, and it's just like, why haven't I? Of all the other movies that I've watched and checking out new genres and all that. Like, this is an area that I have to get into. And as much as I'm, I am of a fan of Mel Brooks, I don't think I've ever seen Silent Movie all the way through. Mm-hmm. Another good one. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, lots of lots of areas for self-improvement in this, uh, in yeah. this question. You know how sometimes we joke about the Dutch camera angles, Pat? Yes. If, there's a, if you want to go see a silent film that is, it's less than an hour long. It's, okay. a, it's a horror movie from 1920. And okay. it is the movie, I believe, unless I'm getting this wrong, I believe that was the first use of Dutch angles for, for camera work in a movie. It is the uh, from 1920. It's called The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Okay. So I have seen that one. That one's a good one, too. That should have been on my list. Got it. But, yeah, if you want to find out the – since we talk so much over the years about Dutch camera angles, then – it's it's only fitting that I go back and discover the source. It, it should be, yeah. All right. Question number two, what's your favorite rags-to-riches story? 
And this could be a real life one. This could be fictional, could be movie, could be book, could be whatever you want. Hmm. I'm cheating because I have three. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to pull a Jeff Mazuka. Hi, Jeff. And I'm going to say that my my two runners up are going to be Pretty Woman, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. But my all time favorite is probably always going to be The Count of Monte Cristo. There you go. Yeah. Those so, are all good. So those are mine. Get a good rags to riches and revenge story built in all in one. Well, yeah. I mean, that's. And, and what more do you want, really? Mm hmm. And the invention of a, of a sandwich. The Monte Cristo. I had to turn food it into food sometimes. somehow. You know, See, now you're I, making me hungry. That I'm, is not cool, bro. We do yeah, it every I, time. It's like you should know by now. I know, but the problem is now I stopped thinking about the question. Now I'm thinking about what I want to go get for snacks. What kind of sandwich you want to make? Right. Yeah. Like, what is the snack of the evening? Okay. Well, as you're thinking about your snack, what's your favorite rags to riches story? Go ahead. This is Bill. a tough one. You know, I went through some of the real life stuff. You know, there's the, isn't it Angelina Jolie who family couldn't pay the bills? You know, Dolly Parton was very poor. And now, oh, sorry, Sarah Jessica Parker couldn't pay the bills. Halle Berry slept in a homeless shelter. You know, Dolly Parton's family was very poor. And look at her now, you know, it's, there's so many that it's hard to to pick one, but the first one that always pops into my head, and it's a movie, and it's Trading Places. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just, I don't know why that you say that, and that is the archetype that is in my head, is is Trading Places. Nice. No, oh, that's a good that's one. That's a good one. For better or worse. <laughs> I thought about, I forgot about uh, Lex Luthor. That's a good rags to riches. He, his family was poor when he was growing up. There you go. You know what my father always said to me when I was From a kid? From rags to megalomania. Yeah. You know what my father always said to me when I was a kid? Get out? No, after that. <laughs> you know the one that's always inspired me? It's, and I remember this story very well looking back. It was the, the summer she turned 18. She lived in a one-room rundown shack on the outskirts of New Orleans. Outskirts of New Orleans. Yeah. Didn't have any money for food or rent. They were hard-pressed, to, to say the least. Then Mama spent every last penny she had to buy her a dancing dress. That's also a really good one. That might be, if, if my wife were to answer, that might be her answer as well. I mean, she only had one chance. Well, one chance, and she, she couldn't let anybody down. She's fancy like. She is fancy like that. Yeah. Anyway. Pat, what have you got? Well, I'm trying to think of a movie that has a, the rags to riches theme that that also has a race car theme. That also has a race car theme, right? Okay. Well, and the one the one I could think of But it's got to be a race car in the red, doesn't it? It's got to be a race car in the red. It's recency bias that that film Rockstar with oh, Marky yeah. Mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I, I enjoy watching that movie. I, I get a kick out of it and I know it's, I'm sure people have all different opinions of it and all that kind of thing, but uh, I really enjoy that film. So that one's pretty, uh, that one's pretty fun. Real life story. There's always 
you know, there's, there's plenty of those rags to riches thing. And I'll, I'll tell you the, the one story in real life that kind of sticks out is there's a motorcycle racer that's actually since retired, but his name is uh, Colin Edwards. And it's funny because like, as I was getting into bike racing, I remember watching him and, and just becoming a world champion and world superbikes and just always a contender and, and just a, a, a really a funny guy, never, never, never afraid to tell you what he thinks. So he was, he was entertaining off the bike, on the bike, the whole thing. But then later it came out that his, his family really sacrificed everything so that he'd get his shot. Right. And it was when he was, I remember it was right when he was winning his world titles and everything and really just on top of the world and everything like uh, apparently like his family, his parents lived in a really rough situation and his dad had a whole bunch of health problems and all that. And he was like, yeah, if he wins the world championship, he's taking all the money and he's going to set his parents up and so on and so forth. And he ended up winning the world championship, making a pile of money. And you know, that they, if, and I, I don't think I'm being too dramatic when I say this, but according to the reports is his, his father was, was dying. Right. And they weren't really sure what the health issues were. And he, they were able to get him out of wherever they were living and into a nice home. And you know, his, his family ended up, his parents ended up living many, many more years and, and all that. So it's really kind of a, I'd say fairy tale, but you know, that's, you have to work your butt off to win those world titles and all that kind of stuff. So it was just a real happy ending. And it's one of these things that like, yeah, you're watching this guy on top of the world. I'm, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my house watching this guy in front of, in the world's eye, like racing motorcycles. And you think, man, that's just, these guys are at the top of the top of their thing, but you, you know, they had real problems and he had no money and it was relying on the money he was going to win to help his family out. So that, that story of Colin Edwards, I, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. So, and he ended up having a cameo on Friends because Matt LeBlanc was a big, uh, is big into motorcycles and all oh, that nice. kind of stuff. So there's one of the Friends episodes. I think it's the same one where Paul Rudd is on. Okay. I, I think it was the same one. And there's, there's a scene where they're in a coffee shop or something at one of the tables as an extra is Colin Edwards. And I think there's like another bike or another racer guy or his crew chief or something oh, nice. have a cameo and friends. So nice. All right. And question number three, what is your favorite RDJ role that isn't Iron Man? You opened up a can of worms on this one. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it did. Which worm are you going to grab, Bo? Well, I, I, I was just looking through the list and again, one more time so I could decide which one I was going to go with. There are so many that I, that I like, but I'm going to try to go with a not the one that pops into my head, which isn't one that I think we did this movie, but it's not one people talk about all that much, but air America. Oh, I love that character he plays with Mel Gibson in that he's the, the naive pilot who still thinks, who still thinks that the government is there to do good in Laos. And, and he's, he's so good in that because you see the turn, like when he realizes what's really going on and then he sort of helps to bring Mel Gibson's character back from the cynical edge. It, it's, it's good. Cool. And there are some more honorable mentions, but I'm going to let, let you guys go first. So I don't steal any. Got it. What do you got, John? 
fearless leader. What are you calling? This was a tough one for me, too. I, I liked him. He's, he's got some different parts in a couple of newer movies. I love his character in Weird Science. What was his character's name? Ian, I think it was his character's name in Weird Science. There was this little movie. I don't think a lot of people caught it, but I really enjoyed it. It's a There's a bunch of Avengers people that are in it. John Favreau, who directed um, Iron Man, he's the main character in the movie. But Robert Downey Jr. shows up. I think Scarlett Johansson is in this movie. It was called Chef. And it kind of came out around the time that the first Avengers movies were coming out. And basically it's John Favreau plays this guy who is a chef. And I, I want to say he either gets fired from or loses his restaurant. And he then to like reinvent himself, he starts up a food truck. And so the whole, the, the movie is about him starting up a food truck and kind of reconnecting with his friends and family and, and all of that. It's, it's, it's a fun little movie. And you can kind of tell that it was probably one of those things where, a bunch of people that were working together on the Avengers movies got together and were like, hey, we're friends. You want to come hang out for like a couple weeks and, and we can make a movie about a guy with a food truck? You want to do that? Sound good? Ah, right, cool. ScarJo, why don't you come on over? RDJ, why don't you come on over? It just it seemed like it was one of those movies where it was like a bunch of friends got together and they were like, hey, I got this cool little idea. You want to, you want to go make a movie? That's cool. So, I really enjoyed him in that one. Air America was what I was thinking about. I was like, all right, well, do I, you know, do I put Air America on the list? I thought a little bit about, why am I blanking on the name? U.S. Marshals. Yeah. Enjoyed him in that one. Liked him in Less Than Zero. I mean, the movie, the movie itself is a little rough, you know, with all the, the drug stuff and everything else. I think I'm going to go all the way back, though, to 1986 and one of the movies that we did in our first year-ish of the podcast, I'm going to go back to I'm going to go back to school. Is what I'm going to do. Yes, I'm going to go back to the Rodney Dangerfield movie, Back to School, and I I really enjoy it. Very nice. So that's that's going to be mine. Derek was his character's name in that one from Back to School. Yeah, good good throw good throwdown with the uh, with the names with the, with the movies. Yeah, what do you got, Patrick? The only thing I would add to all that is I really like the Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Two ones that he did with who did he do? The guy that plays Dumbledore now. Well, I just drew it to complete blank. Jude Law. Who, who else? Jude Law. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I think he and Jude Law are so good in those movies. They play off of each other. I like the eccentricities that he brings to the Sherlock Holmes character. And yeah, I I just they're what do you call that movie Kryptonite? I just if they're on, I'm watching. Mm-hmm. And if I man, I don't know you what get to Shawshanked. Watch. I get Shawshanked, yeah. So I could, I could easily, I could easily just watch him over and over in that. And it's, yeah, he's just very, very, he's just very, very entertaining in those movies. So that would be my favorite. Nice. Yeah, he leans into the quirks of Holmes, and it's so fun. Mm -hmm. It is, and and the thing is, I've read something, and I'm going to mess up the quote. And it was around the Avengers. I think it was uh, the Captain America Civil War movie. And they, they talked about it and they, how did they say it? It was something along the lines of someone forgot to tell Robert Downey Jr. That you're not supposed to actually have acting in superhero movies. And what, <laughs> what they were, what they were, what they were trying to, t- to say is that he just brought so much to that portrayal mm-hmm. in that movie of being betrayed by your friend, having like the, all the things that that movie was about yeah. that he brought such a level of commitment and emotion to that. And now when we go back and check out all these other movies, and obviously I picked stuff that's more action-oriented, but, you know, the movies that you referenced, like the one where he plays the guy, the kid that was addicted to drugs, mm-hmm. this, yeah, he, he really, 
in my humble opinion, has like capital A acting shops. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. and so, yeah, when he brings, he, he can just bring his A game to whatever he's in. We've got, and I have not peered into John's list for next year, and I probably should before I say this, but there's a movie that I know was on the long list for 93 called Heart and Souls, okay. um, which he's in, which he's very good in. Okay. I don't know if it made the list. I'm going to see if I can scroll through it real fast now. I am trying to remember. I almost want to say it did not. Uh-oh. It probably didn't because I was probably the only one who voted for it because I was probably the only one who had seen it. Okay. It's it's kind of obscure, as, even as Robert Downey Jr. movies go. Well, we we potentially have some space for a, a Patreon movie here and there, so... Yeah, it's very good. It's the I'll give you the quick rundown of it from IMDb, just because they're going to do a better job than I am. But an unhappy businessman finds a new sense of purpose after he's tasked helping a quartet of ghosts fulfill their last wishes before moving on to the afterlife. And there's a whole there's like ghosts inhabiting human bodies so they can fix things that they didn't fix while they were alive. And there is a scene where. And there's a scene where he has to dance to walk like a man, but it's someone else inhabiting his body, and it is one of the funniest damn things I've ever seen. Bo, is this the movie where he helps out the singer that has stage fright? Oh, gosh. Now you're taxing my... I think, because what you're describing... It could be... And I just Charles Grodin, met- Kira Sedgwick, Alfre yes. Woodard. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think that's and uh, yeah, I've seen. I, I didn't even know it was David Tamer plays the bus driver. He like drives the bus of souls. Yes, it's so fun. I, I rem <laughs> I remember this movie now. Oh, I have not. And seen I never this even one. yeah, and I never even processed that Robert Downey Jr. was in it. Well, he's so young. I mean, it's. Yeah. It's crazy how young he looks in his movie. And maybe that's because we just saw him in old makeup in Chaplin. Right. But like watching it, he is so young. Wow. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that's really. Yeah, that's the real deal. That's a great movie. All right. I, I might add that one to the Patreon list. I'm just watching the trailer now on IMDb yeah. and I'm smirking. Yeah. No, I have never seen that one. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <clears throat> All right. Might have, to, might have to revisit that one sometime soon. Very, very quickly, in case you're wondering, since the movie Air America did get name dropped here, if you want to hear our episode on Air America, it is episode number 288, titled Anything, Anywhere, Anytime, Professionally. We did that one about two, was it two years ago, I think. Man, we were on our we were on point with the title back then. That was good. We, we try to be. We try to be. <laughs> Every once in a while, we get a little creative. All right. Well, that's going to do it for Chaplin. So thank you all so much for joining us once again. Thank you always to our Patreon co-executive producers who are helping to support the show financially as well as sharing the show out with friends and neighbors on social media, maybe just shouting through a megaphone as they're walking down the street, however they're doing it. But every single one of you being able to share this with other people. We've got tons of movies that we've covered over the last seven years we've been doing this. 
if you know anybody that loves 80s movies, 90s movies, every once in a while we dip back into some other stuff, feel free to share the show with them. If you go to 30podcast.com, you'll be able to see the list of all of our back episodes there. Another quick and easy way to do that, too, is on Letterboxd. I still use Letterboxd for kind of keeping a visual catalog of our show. So if you want to cycle through movie posters and see the different movies we've done over the years, Letterboxd, L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D.com slash 30podcast has our whole list there up to date of all the different movies we've covered. So share it out with folks if you think that there's a movie, if you know that there's a movie we've covered that a friend of yours might enjoy. Share it out with them, let them know. Coming up next, next week, we've got A River Runs Through It. Finishes off for the month of November. Our Patreon, as I said earlier, is King of Comedy from 82. Patreon Shorts are Black Adam from 2022 and Rocky 3 from 1982. Next month, we've got our Patreon is Eating Raul from 1982. Patreon Shorts are Christmas Story Christmas from 2022 and Conan the Barbarian from 1982. And then on into our regular episodes for the month of December, we have Santa Claus the movie, we have The Babe, we have All I Want for Christmas, Home Alone 2, and we end the year with The Muppet Christmas Carol. So we have got some great stuff coming up, some great holiday movies coming up in December. Yeah, so check on back here, and we'll be here each and every week. Every Wednesday, new episode comes out, so check back here or subscribe in your podcatcher of choice to get those each and every week when we bring those out. Bo, Pat, as always have so much fun talking with you guys always a pleasure all right everybody appointment podcasting absolutely that's it man everybody be excellent to each other go watch some good movies and we will see you back here next time